0: Butterflies, elephants, lion, giraffes, pig, sheep, chicken, a red elephant. One. Five. Three. Thirty-one. Shy farm. Oh, I the one that brings up things for Jesus. Did you mean? Okay, the night. Rhinos and elephants, that's a new one for me. Let's all stand together. Good to have you here this morning with us worshiping. As well as all all, all of those who are joining with us online, let's uh, say together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith, it's who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, The Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated again. Good to have you with us this morning. Quick reminder about how we take our offerings Uh, nowadays is uh, there are envelopes on the seats in front of you. And if you want to give cash or check, you can use those and put them in the buckets on the way out. And just reminding you again of our legacy campaign. This is our annual special fundraiser where we try to do something above and beyond, leaving a legacy that hopefully will touch eternity. So don't forget about that, this Advent season. Quick uh, update, as many of you know, last Sunday I had a bit of an episode (laughs) where I was struggling to get my words out, which is not that unusual, but uh, it was... More than normal, and uh, I went in and got checked. Apparently, I had, there's a fancy name for it, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, it's uh, basically a mini stroke. I know it sounds so horrifying, but it was super, super mini, and it was very, very mild. And uh, they say, What caused it? Uh, they don't know. And uh, I got scanned from head to toe, all my blood vessels are wide open, functioning properly despite my terrible eating habits and the ticker's ticking and everything's good. So, I don't know. <laughs> Having said that, I could drop over dead tomorrow. <laughs> but so could you. So, always live like today's your last day, right? So, I feel fine. I don't know. Now, every time I struggle with getting any words out, everyone's afraid, this is happening again. No, it's, just me. All right. So uh, that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) Thank you for your prayers though. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Today's message, I have a message entitled, The Three Hoes of Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Now the word ho is a modern day derogatory term to describe an immoral person, usually pointed towards a woman, but also can be directed at a man as well, who's acting like a hoe. Uh, And today, I want to literally focus on the three hoes that are directly tied to the Christmas story. You may not be aware of these, but now you will be. Let's take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, the very beginning, first chapter, first verse. This is what Matthew writes. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Notice there was emphasized David, the son of Abraham. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. There's 12 uh, sons that uh, Jacob has. God changes his name to Israel. So they are the 12 tribes of Israel. You notice the only one mentioned here is Judah and his brothers. I'll explain why in just a minute. So Judah was the father of Perez and Terah, uh, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. If you're looking for names for your babies, don't use these. Nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, you go on it continues this for quite a ways. There are 42 generations listed. But of all these men, only four women are named. Three of the four were hoes. Hence our ho, ho, ho this morning. Now, they are intricately uh, uh, tied to the Christmas story because the line of the Messiah goes through these women. So I'll just take a look at how God can use people no matter what mistakes they've made. This is the celebration of Christmas and the gospel is that there is forgiveness and redemption for anybody, anyone, the Bible says, who, whosoever will, all right? So let's take a look at these. Now, uh, and we just read that Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Uh, now, Judah is a significant figure, as we just read, it said... Jacob and Judah and his brothers. Why the emphasis of Judah? There's 12 of them. Why just him? Uh, What happens is uh, Judah becomes the major figure eventually in Jewish history. Jesus came through this tribe. Jesus is actually referred to in the Bible as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So now what happens is uh, during King David's lifetime, all the 12 tribes were gathered in one nation, the nation of Israel, uh, these 12 sons. Um, Eventually, after David passes, they have a civil war. Even though they're all related to each other, they have a war, which anybody with family can relate to. All right. So they have this big, and they have their civil war. And what happens is there are the 10 tribes that are the northern tribes. These are the 10 tribes Uh, tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel at this point. And in the south, there are two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, which is really a tiny one, hardly ever mentioned. It's almost always just referred to as Judah. You, if you read the Old Testament, you will see them frequently reference the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. You think they're talking about the same? They are not. They are two different kingdoms, two different kings, two different directions that they go uh, as a result of this split. Now, eventually, uh, both nations become very corrupt. Israel, in particular, the kingdom of Israel becomes horribly corrupt. And, and they be, are really, really bad and behaving very badly. They are caught up in uh, idol worship. They're sacrificing their children uh, alive, burning them alive to the demigods of the day. They are sexually immoral. They're ever, All the thou shalt nots, they are doing. Uh, it's bad. It's really, really bad. And God keeps warning them. Uh, Judah kind of goes down the same path, but particularly Israel is really, really bad. And they refuse to repent. God warns them for hundreds of years. Talk about, you think God's impatient with you? Check again. He warns these people for so long and finally he says, I'm bringing the hammer down. They didn't care. They kept ignoring God and eventually invading armies come and they destroy everything. Massive carnage uh, and what people were left got drugged off into who knows where. And to this day, nobody knows what happened to these people. They are referred to as the Lost Tribes of Israel. Actually, if you Google, Google Lost Tribes of Israel, you'll see Jewish websites pop up. Uh, and they will say they don't know where they went. Nobody knows. Eventually, they become discovered. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, it'll be interesting when they do. You'll see that in the news. When you see that, go, oh, here we go. You know, It's all part of biblical prophecy. But as of right now, they are the Lost Tribes. So uh, they're wiped out. Then you have the kingdom of Judah. They hang on for another 100, 150 years, uh, but also disobeying God, and God warns them and finally brings the hammer down on Judah, the kingdom of Judah. These were the Babylonians. They came in, destroyed everything. Solomon's gorgeous temple that had been erected and all torn to the ground, raised, razed. Uh, all kinds of people, the majority of them slaughtered. It's horrible. But then a, a bunch of them they took into captivity, which was the custom of the Babylonians. One of their, their approaches to world domination was to bring captured people into their culture and get them to assimilate and be part of the Babylonian culture. This is where you read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men were part of this remnant of Jews that were in Babylon. This is where you read about... uh, uh, (laughs) I'm not having a stroke. I just can't remember. (laughs) Daniel in the lion's den. Too many names this morning. I was thinking Judah. Judah wasn't in the lion's den. It was Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. All this stuff happens during this period of time where they are all in Babylonian captivity. Israel is raised to the ground. It is a disaster. Finally, you get to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and this is when they return. God miraculously makes it possible. The king gives the permission to return to rebuild the temple and pays for it. This heathen king—it covers all the expense of all this—and they rebuild Solomon's temple. This is the temple that Jesus comes into hundreds of years later. It's an amazing uh, facility. It is eventually destroyed by the Romans after uh, uh, Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. But uh, this is the history. So, what happens now is they come, and the only real tribe at this point is Judah. This is why Jesus was born in the land of Judea. You'll hear that uh, when we do the Christmas story. We always read it on Christmas Eve in the land of Judea, Jesus is born. Uh, because it was the land of Judah, and then that's why the Jews start becoming called Jews because of Judah. So the Israelites originally were called Hebrews. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the Hebrews. Uh, then uh, Jacob's changes, has his name changed to Israel. Then you have the twelve sons of Israel. Then they become the Israelites, and then the last remaining. Significant tribe is Judah, and they become the Jews. The name is pretty much mixed. You'll hear people refer to Jews as Hebrews. Uh, Today's the land of Israel, or they're Jews. Anyway, they're all used, they intermingle, and and you exchange one for the other. But that's where the name comes from. So Judah is like a major player. That's what all of that was about. So in Genesis chapter 38, verse 6, we read that Judah got a wife for his son, his firstborn son. His name's Ur. Short name. What's your name? Ur. And and so the wife that he gets for Ur is, her name is Tamar. This is the first woman that is mentioned in the genealogy. So what happens? Ur marries Tamar and then he dies. And then the tradition was If, it's a little creepy, (laughs) certainly from our perspective, but if your oldest brother gets married and his wife doesn't have a child, the next brother has to marry her. And if that doesn't happen then the next one, they go down the line till, uh, now this is way back. This is way back even before the Ten Commandments. But even when the Ten Commandments come along, Moses takes the same tradition and makes it part of the law of Moses. So this is the tradition of the land. This is what happens. So uh, so Ur kicks the bucket. Tamar still doesn't have a child. And then uh, Onan, the second son, gets her. And then he kicks the bucket. And then the third son is Selah. But Judah doesn't want to give Selah to her. Why? She's like, the black widow, right? First son married. The only constant here is Tamar. The first one who marries Tamar dies suddenly. The second one who marries Tamar dies suddenly. And he's thinking, I'm hang- hanging on to the third son. And I don't want him kicking the bucket. So so what happens now is she is basically destitute. This is, again, this is five 6,000 years ago. It's a big deal. Very different world than the world in which we live. Very barbaric, uh, even for these people. And um, she is without child. And if you didn't have children back then, particularly sons, you were pretty much doomed uh, for a lifestyle. So she becomes desperate. Now what happens next is Judah, Judah's wife dies. So now he's a widower. And without a wife, he has needs, shall we say. All right. So what happens is, Uh, Judah goes on this trip and Tamar says when he comes back this way I will set up a little prostitute hut and dress up and pretend I'm a prostitute so that maybe he'll come and be with me. She doesn't care who gets her pregnant. She just wants to be pregnant. So hard to imagine uh, in this day and age but this is what they do. So Tamar sets up her, you know, rent hut and uh, Judah comes along and goes, hey, rent Cool, I'll stop here. And stop, and, and they fellowship for a while. And then he goes his merry way. He doesn't know who she is. Now, you would think he would recognize her, right? I, I don't think. First of all, they don't have light bulbs. And secondly, I don't think he was interested, particularly in her face. But anyway, uh, this is what happens. So now she gets pregnant. Uh... And she's like, yes! So the big win. Judah has no idea what's going on. This was his daughter-in-law. Again, creepy, creepy, creepy. But um, uh, so all of a sudden, see, she, she starts showing, Tamar's pregnant! So they all get together and they're going to stone her to death. Again, kind of extreme. The guy, they don't do anything to him. <laughs> Notice always the girl, the poor girls. Anyway, but Tamar proves that it was Judah who did it and now Judah is busted and so they leave Tamar alone and she has these two boys uh, that are, are now born and they're all part Perez per- and Zerah and the father is Judah. So that's, that's the first ho in our ho 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 story. Now she does it out of desperation. She's desperate. She wasn't actually a full-time hoe. She was a temporary hoe just for this situation. All right. Now the second hoe is a woman by the name of Rahab. Now Rahab is actually a professional full-time hoe. She's a prostitute and a a heathen prostitute on top of that. So what happens is the children of Israel, they, they come out of Egypt, all these miracles. They're roaming around the desert for 40 years and then finally God gives them the green light and now they can go into the promised land. Now, the first city they have to take, it's the big test, right? Is God with us? Because you know, there's a lot of fear going into war against all these nations. These are, the Bible says they were big people. Right? They were really well-armed. Israel had no chance but for God being with them, which he was. So they want to check out the first city. The first city is called Jericho, okay? So um, they come to Jericho and they send spies in To see what's going on. And the spies go, we can do this. We can do this. But then they get caught out. They figure out, someone figures out who they are. And they're running. And the authorities are running after these spies. And these guys don't know where to hide. So they stop at the house of Rahab. All men welcome. And so they go running into there. Because it's a house of prostitution. Rahab sees them. And right away she says, I know who you people are, and I've heard about all the miracles your God did for you. She says, if I protect you, will you promise to spare me and my family when you come and take the city? And they said, deal. (laughs) They're negotiating very quickly (laughs) at this point. There's soldiers running all over the place. So she hides them, and the soldiers come to Rahab's house. Have you seen these guys? Rahab says, I ain't seen Jack. And they left her alone because she's Rahab the prostitute. Why does she care? And so she's hiding them. So they eventually get back to Israel. They come. They give the report. Everything is great. Everything is green light. We can do it. So they come and they conquer the first city of Jericho. And they spare Rahab and her family. Now Rahab is greatly celebrated in the nation of Israel. She's no longer thought of as a heathen prostitute, which is what she was. She is now considered a righteous woman and a hero in the nation. The closest analogy, if you've ever seen the movie Schindler's List, which is an amazing film, if you've never seen it, I would highly recommend it. Schindler, during World War II, he was basically a hoe and uh, a war profiteer. So he's making money from the Nazis, making their uh, necessary items and stuff like that. So at some point, he has this incredible heart change and he starts to protect Jews in hiding them from the Nazis. And he said, I don't know what the number is, it's a significant number of people that he saves their lives. To this day, if you go to the nation of Israel, uh, Schindler's grave is there and they honor and respect him. He's buried in the the place of the righteous or something like that. So it's an incredible story. So they don't look at Schindler as this low life, immoral war profiteer. They look at him as a hero, and is celebrated because so many lives that he saved from the Nazis. Same same kind of thing here, happens. She's a heathen prostitute, but not anymore to these people. She is greatly celebrated as uh, this hero, and and uh, people uh, consider her righteous because of what she did. And the amazing thing is this well-respected Jewish boy, by the name of Salman comes to Ruth and says, would, would you marry me? And that probably had to fry her mind that someone of this character and the family all celebrated. Can you imagine, you know, your son coming home and you meet the fiance. So what do you do? Well, I used to be a hoe, you know. But they're not thought in this term. At this point, she celebrated. So she marries Salmon and they have this boy by the name of Boaz. If you ever read the story of Ruth, this is Ruth and Boaz. Boaz's mom used to be a full-time hoe, but not anymore. She celebrated and the Bible celebrates her. Why would the Bible celebrate? Because the whole thing about God is there's always redemption. Sometimes we make mistakes and we think our mistakes identify us and condemn us for eternity. And that is not true. If you come to Christ, you come to God, you ask for forgiveness, he will forgive you of whatever your past is and not just forgive you and put you in a corner somewhere as a loser, a forgiven, a forgiven loser, but a loser nonetheless. That's not how God views any of us. No matter what you've done, you are part of this redemption story that all is set right because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. This is what God does. He redeems people. So that's hoe number one, hoe number two. And then the final hoe is particularly fascinating. And her transgression is so bad, she is not even mentioned. I mean, she's mentioned in the list, but they don't say her name. Matthew doesn't say her name. He mentions Tamar and Rahab and mentions Ruth. She was the one who didn't have the bad background. And, but when it comes to Bathsheba, he doesn't even write her name. This is how horrified uh, Matthew is of this woman and the Jewish nation uh, wasn't, wasn't celebrating her much, you know. Uh, so anyway, her story is, she's an extremely good-looking woman. And she is taking a bath on top of her house one day and King David comes over and takes a look at her and goes, hoochie mama, look at that. And uh, he sets out to seduce her, starts having sex with her. He's in an adulterous affair. She's a married woman and gets her pregnant. Well, now they're freaking out. What do we do now? So they conspire together to figure a way out. Eventually, they set on a plan to kill her husband or more accurately, to have her husband killed. We say David killed him because David's the one who said it in motion. So, And why David, they, they, he was in the army and the army was in this campaign fighting against uh, some city. And David told the commander, Take uh, Uriah's group, you know, I mean, I don't know how many guys were there, uh, and uh, place him in a place in the battle where he's sure to get killed. And that's what happens, because the king tells you to do it, you do it. Uh, so not only is Uriah killed, but David has the blood of all these men on his hands who he intentionally wipes out that whole group of guys to make sure he gets one. This is bad. This is really, really bad. Okay. A lot of people have done bad things, but this is off the chart. This is David, the one who killed Goliath. This is the great king who's still celebrated and was celebrated at the beginning of this, of King David, Jesus was referred to and celebrated as the son of David because they all knew his line went through. He's part of that special group of people who could trace their genealogy back to King David, the great king. So he's one who writes all these Psalms, prophesies of the Messiah coming. This is an incredible man, but he reduces himself to lust, lying, adultery, and murder and has blood on his hands. So they kill off um, Uriah, and then David marries her right away. Uh, the baby eventually dies, part of God's judgment on him. David cries out to God. Uh, some of these Psalms that you read, O oh Lord, cover my transgressions, forgive my... Is, I cried unto the Lord. This is during this time because of what he'd done. And God forgave him and restored him. It's all about redemption. So let's stop, stop, stop and think about this. The line of the Messiah is coming. It's coming through David. David now has for himself at least 12 wives, maybe more. I don't know how many he's got. Uh, but if you're God and you're thinking, okay, which women, woman is going to be the mother that, of the next king of Israel and eventually the great-great-grandmother of Jesus himself, wouldn't you think he'd pick one of those nice girls? He doesn't. He picks Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets pregnant and has a boy named Solomon. Solomon becomes the great king. And eventually she's not only the mother of the next king, but goes on to become the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus himself. And even Matthew, when he writes about her, doesn't, won't say her name, says it, she was the wife of Uriah, which... It was Bathsheba. So this talk about redemption. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we have a hard time getting our heads around how much God is willing to forgive people. And not just forgive them, redeem them. You ever see these shows, you know, garbage shows where they go and take these old pieces of equipment and restore them? It's really fascinating to watch. And whenever I see those things, because they're really valuable. Nobody knows, they just think it's junk. They find it, they totally restore it, and it's amazing. Or you got these old cars. You know, my wife and I love these old cars. You see these people driving these old cars up and down the road. It's amazing to see. These are people who are in the business of redeeming. They take it and they make it new again. That's what God does. And sometimes he's so willing to do it, it frustrates people. I remember some years ago, you know, you remember the uh, serial killer, Ted Bundy, right? Horrible, horrible things that he had did. Well, James Dobson, uh, founder of Focus on the Family, went to visit him and said he eventually prayed with him to ask Jesus in his life. And I remember the Christians who had a fit about it. There's no way. There's no way. He needs to go to hell for what he did. Really? Really, is this the way you think? You need to take a look in the mirror. We've all done nothing that bad, but that's because you're comparing. A lot of people think they're okay because they're not as bad as the next guy. I'm not as bad as Ted Bunny. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. Certainly not as bad as my Uncle Fred, you know? And we all think, we justify ourselves. We're okay because there's somebody worse. That's not how this works. We are all lost, desperately in need of a savior. That's why Jesus comes and he saves not only you, but the worst person you can think of can know salvation and redemption because that's what Jesus does. And that's why the Bible says, whosoever would believe can have redemption. So the common theme with these three women, even though it was a ho-ho-ho story, is the story of redemption. Jesus himself comes into the earth through these women. What an incredible story. So I don't know where you're at today. Sometimes I know people struggle because, Pastor, I've made mistakes. I'm not worthy. I'm I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. I don't know nothing. I didn't even become a Christian until I was in late age. It doesn't matter. The beautiful thing is God can take the most broken of us, clean us up, restore us to youth and and new energy because that's what He does. He's a redeemer. Amen. So now we're going to celebrate that as we take our time of communion together. So this is where we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for us. His body was broken so we could be made whole. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. We are not just forgiven, as incredible as that, we are redeemed. Redeemed. Newness of life comes because of what Jesus did. Old things pass away, the Bible says, and all things now become new. What a glorious, wonderful thing that we celebrate now. But the Bible says, whenever we do this, and we do this every week, as we gather together in worship, the Bible says, before you take of the communion and to remember what Jesus did, examine yourself. So this is where we pause and we pray. And, uh, and so, you know, keep a short account with God. How are you doing this week? Have you said things you shouldn't have said? Done things you shouldn't have done? Whatever struggles you're going with. As we pray together, just in your own words, confess your sins to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer as I pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, by what we've done or by what we've left undone, if we've not loved you with our whole heart, if we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us and forgive us of all of our sins. And as we're all bowing our heads and reflecting right now, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you're thinking, you know, I've, I've never done this, I've never experience that kind of forgiveness and redeeming power in my life. Well, you can do that right now. Just in your own words, ask Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins. And you can start your first steps of faith this very morning. Amen.